0: Hello, I'm King Zarkon, the sadistic and tyrannical king of Planet Doom.
1: And I'm Prince Lotor, the sadistic uh, son of King Zarkon from Planet Doom.
0: Or something like that. Actually, I'm Patrick Macias, the author of Tokyo Scope, the Japanese cult film companion. I am sadistic and tyrannical though.
1: I'm Matt Alt, but I'm more commonly known as the author of Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World. Let's combine.
0: Combine like Voltron? Like those rappers in the Voltron Sprite commercial? Try let's say peace, the good and will stand and live together as one man. Bad is down too. Let's leave this world beast through. Hey, yo, you know how we do.
1: I'll form the head.
0: This is our 18th episode doing the Pure scope podcast, so now we're old enough to watch R-rated movies without our parents, and we don't have to sneak in the back door of the theater anymore to see uh, Kingdom of the Spiders, whatever's playing.
1: We've come of age. I- I'm, feeling, I- I'm feeling like sowing some wild oats.
0: And we do this every week. We get on the mic and talk about food, folks, and fun, and this week we're going to go right into the news with some good news for a change. Nintendo's Splatoon 3 Hits Japanese Sales Record Beats Animal Crossing. With a baseball bat.
1: Ooh, and Animal Crossing was like the big winner of the pandemic. When it came out in uh, in, in 2020, it, in, in the middle of what you would imagine to be the exact worst period in human history to sell anything, it sold like, I think something like 30 million copies over the course of the year because everybody was stuck inside. Now people aren't stuck inside and Splatoon is, is calling them back in.
0: Splatoon 3 has sold about three and a half million units in Japan over three days following its release last week. Meanwhile, Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons sold about two and Half million units. So we have a winner. It's little guys running around with guns. Can we cross over and like go shoot all of the Animal Crossing guys with uh with
1: They're not guns, they're inkjets, Patrick. God, come on, man. Um, actually, it's it's I find it really amazing how you know Nintendo is this super family-friendly company, right? You know, they're they're they've always had that kind of squeaky clean image. And they managed to make an FPS, a first-person shooting game, into something the whole family can enjoy. It's it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm not really a Nintendo guy. They don't have like Call of Duty or like 50 Cent Blood on the sand. But I'm, I am kind of happy when Japanese games you know, do well in the market. I mean, it's been a good year between like Elden Ring and now Splatoon 3. Well, you know, Japan didn't invent video games, but I think you can definitely make the argument that they
1: perfected them, certainly over the uh, last two decades of the 20th century. And even though they haven't really been topping the bestseller lists like they once did, I, you know, things like Animal Crossing, things like Elden Ring, things like Splatoon 3 show that, Uh, Japan definitely still has what it takes to kind of be a global tastemaker.
0: Now they need to bring back real old school Japanese games like A Week of Garfield or like Takeshi's Challenge or something like that. If they can get those to sell more units since Platoon 3, we can have peace on Earth.
1: Golgo 13 by Vic Tokai for the NES.
0: There's definitely Splatoon 3 is like all over the place. Like you can't go to a 7-Eleven here without there like being like purple and green donuts all over the place and stuff like that. So
1: I, The the amazing thing about that game is just like how how wide of an audience it successfully targets. Like my, my little, you know, 11-year-old niece loves the game. She's obsessed with it. Yet like... On the other hand, like our our scumbag friends, you know, (laughs) here in Tokyo, like, you know, 30 year old, like hardcore gamers, they're all into it too, because the gameplay is so amazing. You know, even though these are like cute characters on the screen, instead of, I don't know, camouflaged, you know, Ninja Warriors, like whatever uh, the usual Call of Duty game is. It's it's just so well done.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll give it a try. Does it have like C4 or like sniper rifles or any, shotguns or anything like that? <laughs>
1: sniper ink rifles? It, no, but you can transform into a squid and uh, s- and swim through the ink.
0: Yeah, I gotta say our two-part interview with Andy Samansky got me breaking out the old Ninja Gaiden games. So I've been playing the heck out of those. They're
1: brutal, man. Those are tough. They're actually like, they're, they're designed to be hard to play, kind of like Elden Ring.
0: Yeah, I guess after becoming the Elden Lord, these are kind of like cakewalks to some degree, but I'm definitely getting like my face brutally beaten down, like kind of like what it must have been like working with uh, Itagaki.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, going through boot camp, I guess, you know, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. Uh, that's certainly, you know, the case for the video game and, and for for Elden Ring too, I think.
0: So up next, we have a follow-up to a story from last week. Major publishing company Kadokawa's chairman arrested in Tokyo Olympics-related bribery case. The special investigation squad of the Tokyo District Public Prosecutor's Office arrested Suguhiko Katakawa, chairman of major publisher Katakawa, on suspicion of paying bribes related to the Tokyo Olympics. This is following up a story from last week where Katakawa execs, several of them, were caught giving bribes to Olympic officials in exchange for the official publication rights to Olympic books and guidebooks and fun stuff like that.
1: And actually, I think it's a follow-up to several weeks before that with the Aoki uh, clothing uh, bribery scandal, because Aoki's bribes were being paid to this guy. And then he kind of kicked them back up the uh, pipeline to the Olympics and back and forth. It was just a maelstrom of malfeasance, I think we can say, as everybody is completely unsurprised to hear.
0: So now they got the guy at the top, you know, they have like the chairman of katakawa and i forgot to mention this when we talked about him on our last episode is i actually met him
1: are you serious
0: we were uh face to face and i told him i said dude i love the heisei gamera movies that katakawa produced i love the end of evangelion movies i probably mentioned a few films that his brother who also ended up in jail an ironic twist of fate had produced like uh you know gi samurai or sailor suit and machine gun or something like that so i guess it runs in the family
1: Actually, you know, can can I kind of rewind this a second? i was I was really excited to hear that th- that he was arrested by what did you call them? The Special Investigation Squad.
0: Is that like the Science Patrol? The Tokyo District Public Prosecutor's Office. I guess it's like Winspector or like Jam Person, something like that. Is it like cyber cop?
1: Is, is that who these did like a bunch of guys dressed in like futuristic armor, like futuristic by 1980 standards, smash through his wall like Kool-Aid Man?
0: Well, the big question is now what will happen to Katakawa now that their chairman has been arrested? I didn't know until researching for this story that a Chinese internet conglomerate called Tencent, not 50 Cent, although everyone should play 50 Cent Blood on the Sand, uh, has has a big stake in Kadokawa. And with their chairman out of the game, it's I mean, oh, maybe it a be takeovers in the cards.
1: Tencent has like a big stake in everyone, man. Tencent is like they're they're they are investing like there's no tomorrow. I mean, it's their name's a total lie. They have way more than 10 cents. I I'm convinced of it. But seriously, they are they are really investing hugely in Japanese entertainment entities, ranging from games to publishers and stuff. So, but you know. I think I haven't checked their like corporate statement yet, but I think Katokawa has other employees than just this one gentleman. I don't think it's a one man show. So I, I think, I think Katokawa is still going to be operating for some time, even with this guy in the clink. I mean, they're just, I, I don't know that it's like, it, there's just always something going on with that company. They're like, a, they're a, they're a, they're a huge name. And as we talked about last time, one of the kind of pioneers of applying the whole media mix thing that, that had been used so successfully to make anime shows, these cross-platform you know franchises to the Kadokawa business model with amazing, amazing success in the 80s. So stay tuned for more bribery, uh, scandal-related information from the Tokyo
0: Olympics. Okay. And for our third and final story, with the yen near the cheapest level in decades, this is the big one, folks, Japan is set to reopen its borders. After a series of fake border reopenings this year that promised more (laughs) than they delivered, a report recently that Japan would scrap most restrictions on tourists was the big one. If realized the plans, which include restoring the visa waiver for those with three vaccination shots, dumping a daily cap on arrival numbers, and allowing tourists to book without going through a travel agent would make ease of entry into Japan look a lot more like it did in 2019. So they're talking about reopening the borders at, in sometime in October. They haven't given a specific date yet, but all this stuff is just being floated around now in, in the media.
1: Wait, so it's, if it's going to make Japan look more like it did in 2019, you mean like Blade Runner? <laughs> That was 2019. Um they do say the city resembles Blade Runner at night especially when it's raining. But yeah, the 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 fake outs leading up to this, they weren't like fake news. I mean, they did open the borders, but you had to have like a handler, you know, like a chimp. You know, like there had to be there had to be someone like you were on a leash at all times. And so, uh, you know, if you were if you were a foreign person, if or, or a foreign visitor, uh for people who had like, you know, people like us who have uh you know, permanent resident visas, uh, we were able to kind of come and go back with a lot of uh, annoying sort of coronavirus tests and things like that. But it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here because they say they're opening the borders, and I believe that they will. There's no way it's going to go back to the way it was like in 2019 because the majority, like the huge majority of foreign visitors to Japan then and for the years leading up to then were from China. And as far as I am aware, China is pretty darn locked down right now. I don't think you can like travel as a Chinese tourist very easily right now. I mean, there's entire sections of that country that are literally locked down, like entire cities, I think. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the borders open. Is it going to be mainly Europeans and mainly like North Americans and people like that? I, I don't know. I would assume
0: One thing that's interesting to point out is that it might not be quite the same Tokyo as you remember it. Uh, I mean, a lot of places, Naki have closed down. A lot of places that were old hangouts, you know, other parts of the city are gone. They gone. They ain't coming back. What was interesting is some places were reacting to the lack of tourists by kind of creating businesses that catered to like local tastes. Not like tourists, tourists, tourists all the time, so I don't know if that energy is gonna be creeping back, but um it'll it'll sure be interesting to see a bunch of people yes. blocking the escalators and the uh, entrance gates at the train station with a bunch of suitcases.
1: Well, and you know, I think it, it's also uh, entire sections of the city have changed. If you haven't been to Shubia in like two or three years it's it's like a different it's like a different neighborhood now it's it's like it's it's like ringed by these giant giant corporate buildings it feels more like Tokyo 3 than it does like uh like the geo front than it does like uh Shibuya of old Shibuya to me used to be really like kind of low slung now it's like skyscrapery
0: and they always have these like great anti vaccination protests outside of the station oh, on man. saturday night it's like something out of the warriors is a bunch of guys like beating on things with like metal pipes and steel drums and like in Cookie Monster, heavy metal voices telling people to uh, not get vaxxed. So
1: yes, those guys, those guys. And also there's, there's a new cult out there of people who like hold pictures of Mount Fuji and ask if you want to talk about
0: Mount Fuji. I'm actually not kidding. Like run. Do not talk about Mount Fuji. <laughs> Wait, because the ending of "Destroy All Monsters" when all the monsters team up and fight King Ghidorah in front of Mount Fuji, right?
1: I thought, yeah, I thought you were gonna say they're, they're maybe they're recruiting people for the Go Go Party on Mount Fuji, like in uh, Godzilla versus the uh, Hetera,
0: right? Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, rated G.
1: Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of comments, like if you go onto like social media, like into the, into the Japan groups on Reddit and stuff, people are like, why am I being aggressively stalked by these people every time I come out of a major train station kind of thing?
0: So so yeah, come on back, you know, spend a lot of money. Apparently, that's a big part of the decision here is the, the yen is currently at a 24-year low against the dollar. And they think like opening the borders will like magically turn the clock back or something like, I don't know. But
1: yeah, stuff our tip jar, stuff our non-existent tip jar with your with your American dollars. So that we can, you know, scratch together a living out here.
0: Yes, but don't buy anything related to message from space, be forever Yamato, because that all belongs to me.
1: That's right. We've had we've had like two two and a half years of no competition from foreign people at Mandarake. We better we have to swoop in there and buy all the stuff that we've been snoozing on before they have a chance to come in and get it. We should sign off right now. I'm going to Mandarake. Let's go. Let's Goodbye.
0: go. Podcast over. Okay. Eject, Buckaroo. Eject. Mm.
1: I love sushi.
0: I love Japan, period.
1: Mm-hmm, the
0: tea ceremonies. J-Rock! Yeah! Gurugamesh! Oh, yeah! yeah. Right. I love anime! Yeah! And manga! Oh, I love and gaming! Oh, yeah! Oh, DDR! Yeah! <laughs> DK! K! Yeah. Hey. Hey! Sakurakon ikima! Yeah. Don't just talk about it. Check out Sakuracon. April 10th through 12. Check Sakuracon.org for all the details. OK, so for our feature with the thought of tourism in the air and Japan welcoming visitors once again, I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about the very first time that we ever came to Japan and what happened and what we did. This was just kind of on a whim. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Matt, when did you first come to Japan and what happened and what did you do?
1: Okay. I first came to Japan on a high school kind of spring break exchange. It was 1990s, So this was actually right before the bubble burst. So I got to experience experience a very little bit of what bubble Tokyo life was like, you know, as much as you could as like a snot nosed, like 16 or 17 year old, which, which I was at the time. I just remember getting like treated to a lot of like big steak dinners and things like that. And like the city feeling like everything feeling like kind of fifth Avenue bling bling, like going on. And, uh, it was, you know, a it was kind of like visiting Japan is now for tourists. We were we were on a very short leash with our teachers and chaperones and things like that, as makes sense because we were still high school students, but that didn't stop us from getting out to the beer vending machines, ordering Domino's pizza, uh, which was really exciting for us to use our Japanese, ordering pizza for the first time. And most importantly, most importantly, sneaking away while the rest of the class was being taken to Asakusa's Sensoji and spending that entire several hours in the toy shops (laughs) that are on the uh, Nakamise shopping arcade leading up to Asakusa. So instead of having the religious experience that I was supposed to have, I was having another religious experience uh, in those toy shops. And I still remember, God, I was like stocking up on all sorts of Godzilla vinyls, like Gundam toys, like I could have literally just rolled out a sleeping bag and slept in that. And the toy store is still there. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. It's, it's like it's designed for tourists. You know, it's not, it's not a deep cut. They didn't have any of the deep cuts, but that was fine with me. I mean, I think I blew my entire allowance at that place and then spent the rest of the trip scheming, like looking in issues of Hobby Japan to see if there were any kind of like model shops or anything along the way. And I did, I think, manage to get to Hobby Base Yellow Submarine in Shinjuku. I think it's still there. But like you said, it's turned into kind of a, um, a card collecting thing. But yeah, that was my first experience. And it was mainly kind of like an educational academic thing. And I had a series of increasingly less chaperoned ones after that that I can talk about. But I want to hear from you, Patrick.
0: What was your first visit like? It was terrifying and awesome. I came here first in October 1999. And I came with uh, two, well, one friend and another guy that we met here. Uh, and the guy I came with was a notorious Notorious collector of uh, Valkyries and Tetsugen Twenty Eights, <laughs> a real hardcore international toy pirate, and the guy that we met here was an American who eventually got arrested for selling bootleg Godzilla tapes. Oh yeah! Oh wow, wow! What if? What a thing to have
1: on your rap sheet.
0: So the first thing we did after we landed is you when know, we got out of customs, we got our luggage, and he said we're going to knock on a Broadway, and I didn't know what that meant. I don't know. I didn't know what that oh, wow. I kind of knew that there were going to be toys involved but there there are pictures of me all bloodshot and crazy looking standing next to that Tetsugen 28 in front of Mandarake at Nakano Broadway so uh I was just I felt like I had slipped into a parallel dimension so these guys were here to buy stuff they were not here to wander around and have a cultural experience so like we hit I'm sure like Akihabara and like all the Liberty stores the next day. And uh, these were like red blooded American guys. They only wanted to eat fast food and stuff like that. So it was it was a little rough. It could get a little rough. And one of the big highlights was going to the premiere of Godzilla 2000 at uh, NHK Hall in Shibuya. And the movie kind of sucked, but that was still kind of a cool highlight.
1: That's back in the day when you kind of had to still make pilgrimages here because nobody was online. Like if, if you wanted to find the juiciest... You know, collectibles or whatever you, you know, or, or catch the latest flick. You, you literally had to come here or, or you just didn't get it. You know, now it's like Yahoo auctions and like, you know, whatever, you know, Mercury, there's so many places that you can get stuff online. But back then, you know,
0: it was, you, you had to go into the trenches or not at all. It was a trip for real. I met film critic Kichiro Yanashita. He asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to eat some really bad ramen. So he took me to like the crappiest ramen place at Kabuki Cho. <laughs> and I didn't know the doors slid open. So I tried to force it with my hands. And I broke it. Oh man!
1: Oh, what happened? This is like a this is like a side mission in in Ryu Ga Gotoku, the Yakuza video game series. It really series. was. Yeah. What happened?
0: What happened was you know I just pa- apologized and everyone apologized and you know probably gave me the stink eye while I ate my terrible ramen and life went on as it normally does in Kabuki Cho. Actually, I
1: have a, I have a fun ramen story. So like when I was I came here again on in in my in for a year study abroad in college. I went to the University of Wisconsin and then I I, I came abroad here for a year and. You know, I mainly was doing the same thing you were doing, but just over the course of a year, just going to all, you know, scuzzy collectible places I could. But I had foreign friends, uh, some of whom, uh, like my high school Japanese student friends, some of them were studying abroad around the same time. And uh, we'd get together from time to time. And I remember I got together with a good friend of mine who was, had from birth, has been an insulin-dependent diabetic. And so you know, before, before eating, he has to, you know, or, you know, I, exactly how it works. I don't know. You know, you take your blood sugar and you have to, you know, inject yourself with the insulin. Well, at one point we went to a ramen shop on center guy in Shibuya. And this is like 90 God five or something like that. And we order and he's like, Oh shit, I, I forgot to take my insulin. And so like, I'm like, I'm like, well, just do it. You know, this is like a health thing. You should, you should, you just don't, don't like, don't like not take it God. And so he had to, you know, you, you, you pull your shirt up a little bit to expose, your stomach or this is how he did it and he pulls out a syringe and he and he and he just injects it like quietly like he's not like like it's kind of underneath the counter a little bit and the guy behind the counter the guy behind the counter like the ramen master flips out he's like you know shoot up here (laughs) he's like oh my god and we're like no no diabetic diabetic and like you know, in Japanese, and he was semi convinced, but like I was like, oh my god, I guess I guess junkies come in here and shoot up on stupid <laughs> like center guy, and like you know, we got the ramen, like feathers were like ruffled feathers were soothed or whatever, and because uh, he could see we weren't like going off on a nod or something, but it was that's the first, last, and only time I've ever had like it was my most Blade Runner experience in Tokyo.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say you had like a moment with the uh, the guy behind the counter, like the two two four scene from Blade Runner. <laughs> Three, four.
1: That's it. No, four, two, two, four. That's it. And noodles. Exactly. Tell him I'm eating. If only I would spoke city He's speak. You say you shoot up, Mr. Decker. Exactly. I told him in city speak that it's actually insulin. My
0: big, embarrassing, like, Brady Bunch goes to the Grand Canyon event happened when I lost my passport, like, a day before the flight home. I don't know if I got, I don't know if it was stolen or whether I left it somewhere like an idiot. So I had to go to the Shinjuku police station by myself. And then I had to go to the U S embassy and like get all this stuff sorted out. So that was like some drama. That's not fun. So kids don't lose your passport. That's a real pain.
1: I, you know, this is, this is kind of rekindling old memories in me. And, you know, speaking as somebody who spent quite a bit of time in Tokyo in the nineties, uh, one of the big things I remember that's completely different now than it was then is that, you know, obviously you didn't have cell phones back then, right? And we all had to kind of stay in touch with each other by, you know, making phone calls or like making plans in person and then like, you
0: know. Passenger pigeons and like a smoke signals and, and stuff so like that. so you'd
1: have to set things up, right? And then the the thing that that we had in Tokyo back then and probably other cities that you don't have at all now is meeting spots, there were like a couple of really like widely used meeting spots that everybody knew. And like one was like, uh, Shinjuku Alta, the giant TV screen that you've seen in Megazone 2.3 and other places, it's still there. Um, and you'd be like, oh, meet me at Alta at six PM. Another one was uh, Almond, this this coffee shop in Roppongi.
0: Did you ever like meet people at meeting spots? You must have because you were coming. I to- did. I mean, I think Almond was. I think I've done all those spots more than once or twice. Hachiko is still kind of like that. Yeah, Hachiko
1: definitely. Um, Hachiko is such a meeting spot that it's actually difficult to meet people there because it's just it's so mobbed with people, especially on weekends. But yeah, it should be Hachiko is definitely one or the Moai like the the kind of Easter Island Moai statue on the opposite side of Shibuya Station that was another one you mean the Bandai Emotion logo or Bandai Headquarters on, on in Asakusa you know that's another place you can meet me at the Ultraman statue standing next to the Man statue standing next to the Kamen Rider statue
0: you mentioned Alta and that kind of made me think of like this feeling that I had coming to the city for the first time coming to Tokyo for the first time which was like I can only describe it as like anime and tokusatsu deja vu yeah. where I was like wait a minute Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, This yeah. Shoten guy is the same one from Megazone 2-3 part yes. 2. Yes. And Armageddon. Yes. Wait a minute. This building, this Lafarge place, is the same one that they ride in front of, an you know, Megazone. So it was like even seeing Tokyo Tower. Like it's impossible to look at something like that without thinking about like Mothra's cocoon. Oh, totally,
1: totally. Actually, so I just read, um, and you know, it's not just us. Okay, I, I just read uh, Robert Whiting, who is the author of "You Got to Have Wa" and um, "A Tokyo Underworld," which is the most amazing book about the the kind of crime world in in Japan and the post-war. Post War Era, Robert Whiting. He is like the most like kind of mainstream, established print journalist you've ever met. He just published a book, his memoir. It's called Tokyo Junkie, and he was assigned like as a military guy, as a soldier to Japan. And after his tour came up or whatever, he decided to kind of go to Tokyo and and live here. This is back in the sixties, and he says the first thing he did was go see the Diet Building because. He knew Godzilla had wrecked it in 1954, and like so, he like even this guy made his own like pop cultural pilgrimage. It's it's just Tokyo's like landscape is so intertwined with that kind of thing.
0: As for me, I came back like wanting to come back as quickly as possible, and I did. And I came back like a year later with um, the person who's currently our evil producer of uh, this here show, and it was a much more chill time, not having to eat fast food three times a day and you know uh, going to every single liberty store with a list and stuff like that although that was fun there were so fewer tourists back then like it, japan was not really a
1: tourist destination until like the late aughts like and the and the 2010s i feel like like up before up until that point like it wasn't really on the radar except to people who wanted to come to like, Oh, I want to see Zen gardens. Like people like us who came here cause they wanted to
0: raid the toy. Exactly.
1: Stores. Like play 50 yen games on uh, a Shibuya Kaikon on center
0: guy or whatever. I, I think we were really in the minority. So what kind of advice would you give someone who's going to be coming for the first time now that the borders are reopening?
1: Well, I will tell for people who, who have been here before the city like scape has really changed. Like we were mentioning earlier. And I just actually went to Shibuya for, uh, cause I had to go to any, HK actually for a shoot for an Japanology Plus a week ago. And I was shocked by the number of new really high-tech three-dimensional display screens have gone up. And by three-dimensional, I don't mean it's a hologram, but like they've started using these, these, these kind of right angle screens that bend around the side of a building and do these kind of trick art. Video installations on them. Well, there's
0: the cat in Shinjuku that's really famous.
1: There's a, there's one, there's now there's another one on Center Guy right next to, or excuse me, Basketball Street, right next to the kind of behind the Starbucks. And there's another, there's this giant one, like five stories tall, right behind the train tracks. And if you're standing on the corner coming out of, of like the Inokashiro line, for instance, waiting to cross the street over to Center Guy, you'll have like multiple like giant 3D trick art video installations in your site line. And it's actually kind of disconcerting. It's cool. It's it's cool. But yeah. And yeah, of course, there's a cat one in Shinjuku that got a lot of attention online. But um advice for first time visitors boy that's a that's a tough call because i don't know you know i haven't met any first time visitors in a really long time like everybody who i run into here seems to have come a bunch of times recently
0: you know what would you what advice would you give patrick i would say get lost and explore yes. because when i did that that's when i began to have like magical things began to happen like i, I just randomly went to the shinjuku showa grindhouse movie theater and i met uh, a guy working there and he became the illustrator of my book Tokyo scope the japanese film companion also like don't be afraid to be awkward. Like yeah. people I went to Tokyo with for the first time, they had a vague fear of any interaction with a Japanese person. And like that created like a barrier that they never wanted to cross. But I mean, don't be afraid of the awkwardness and don't be afraid to go to a wacky, weird place. The worst thing that can happen to you is an awkward situation. And my entire life has been an awkward situation. So that's just- Yeah, not-
1: no, that's actually seriously really good advice. Like walk and get lost. And like I tell my uh, otaku friends this, don't don't like budget your entire trip to be spent inside of Naka. Broadway. Like, just go get, lo- like, walk a completely random direction. Like, I don't know, a place where people live, where people, like, work, because it'll give you a sense of the terrain. You know, don't be afraid to, like, not take the train. You can easily walk from Shinjuku to Tanakano, for instance, and you'll see a lot of interesting stuff. Or you can walk kind of like, you know, between Shinjuku and like Yoyogi and Harajuku and like Shibuya to Harajuku, you can walk these things. You don't have to, if you get lost, you're not going to get jumped. You're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get shot, except maybe with like a laser tag pistol or something. Or a Splatoon inkjet. A Splatoon inkjet, exactly. So it's, it's just, this is such a safe and fun city, you know, feel free to get lost and be weird. Fly your freak flag. Nobody in Japan is going to, you know, come at you for being dressed head to toe in Evangelion gear or whatever that would get you a well-deserved beating in the
0: states. And we highly recommend the lunch buffet at Shakey's. Actually, I forgot to mention I did go to Shakey's by myself the very first time I was here. I flipped out. Your friends at Shakey's
1: no. Just to Shakey's wa egao made American. to to American present. Naturally. And remember, if you're young, the Japanese government wants you to drink as much alcohol as possible to support the failing economy, the failing alcohol economy. <laughs> so, so please, uh, have, have a chew high on us.
0: So that's it for episode 18 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. Thanks to everyone who's listening. I wanted to announce that going forward, we're going to be launching new episodes every Wednesday US time. We're going to be shifting things over a few days. So I hope it doesn't disorientate anyone already more than they are. Exactly. So you'll only
1: have to run home from school on Wednesdays now, no no longer on Tuesdays to make sure you catch
0: us. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. Uh, Continue to say nice things about our show. Spread the word. You know how we like it. And we'll see you all next week. See you then.
1: And people of Earth, this is King Sarkon of the planet Doom. This hip hop culture of yours is making a big buzz around the universe, and I'm not feeling it. The breakdancing, dancing, the graffiti art, the rhyming, the DJing—it all has to go. My Ro Beast is going to destroy it all. You haven't experienced real player hate until you feel the wrath of King Sarkon. Yeah! say peace The good and moral will stand and link together as one man Fat Joe is down too Let's lead this world peace through hey, yo, you know how we do It's just common sense to be united at this And Mac Tien is with the twist to lead his road He's this And band forms ahead We, we form, form the blazing, blazing light. light Like follow with strength Open up, this is spring. Hip-hop, you don't stop From the tribe source, you won this one but-
0: Whatever, man